Welcome to the Your Oxygen Mask First podcast. I'm Erin Young, and this is a space where we explore ways to help the helpers. Because you can't help anyone before you help yourself. So sit back, put your own oxygen mask on, and enjoy the ride. And thank you so much for joining us again today. I am very excited to be joined by a very special lady. Her name is Katie St. Pierre. I said that right, right? Yes, you did. Okay. And she is a unique person, a little bit of a play on words, because she is a mom and a military spouse. She's also a former military spouse, and she is a very, very busy woman because she has her own business, and she is very, very open and vulnerable and wants to share her message about recovery and being a military spouse and the effect that military has on families, especially children. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about pretty much everything today. It's going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge of recovery and kids, military, and just we're going to have a good time. It's a little bit different today. So thank you for joining us, Katie. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start with a little bit of a background about you and what you've kind of been through in your, you know, your life. Well, I've, um, as far as, you know, to talk about the recovery side of things, I was always a kid that was getting in trouble. And even when I was really young and I was around a family that they were big drinkers and it was, you know, it was always fun. And I, so I always related alcohol with fun and, and, um, I started experimenting with it really early, kind of sneaking a beer out of dad's fridge and, and all that when I was about 10, 11, and it was fun for me. It helped me feel, I, I guess I always experienced anxiety and things like that and wasn't ever really comfortable in my own skin. So when I started playing around with, with alcohol, like that feeling went away and I felt comfortable with myself. I felt like I could relax and be a little bit more outgoing. And so I, I started drinking pretty quickly. Right after I knew that that feeling was gone, I, I kind of just ran with that. I found a quick solution to to what was bothering me that I didn't even realize was bothering me until it, it was gone. So by the time I was 13, I was a full-blown mess. I was doing all kinds of drugs and drinking. It was a daily use. It was messing up everything. And by the time I was... I, my mom put me in counseling. My mom had me going to like a youth recovery counseling group when I was 14 and you know nothing really right I didn't want any part of it I you know so I, I everything just kind of fell apart I got kicked out of high school my sophomore year in high school uh, my mom put me in a group home um, for kids with drug and alcohol issues and from there she she picked me up and put me in a foster home so Things went straight downhill real fast <laughs> for me as a teenager um, with the drug and alcohol use. And it just, you know, pro- progressively got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I went to rehab at 22, like the 30-day the whole, the whole thing. Um, but I didn't want to be there then either. It was more just to get everybody off my back and it didn't work because I didn't put anything into it and, and uh, just went right back out and started drinking again. But I, I kind of convinced myself that as long as I wasn't using drugs, everything would be fine and I could drink like a classy lady and I couldn't. But so it was years of me convincing myself I was being a responsible drinker. And 11 years later, I was uh, 33 and back in the same rehab. <laughs> But it was a completely different mindset at that point. When I was 22 and I went to rehab, it was like my bills weren't paid. My house was a disaster. I would throw my dishes away before I washed them. There was like an iron burn on my carpet from knocking it over. My shower door was cracked from kind of falling into it. I'm Like everything around me was a disaster. And everybody could see that I was a disaster at 22. And then at 33, when I went back, I was married. I had three kids. I lived in a beautiful house. My husband was a 
naval officer. The bills were paid. The dinner was on the table at six. The house was spotless. Like nobody could see that anything was wrong. But internally, I was a complete disaster. I was depressed. I had suicidal thoughts. I hated everything about myself. And like my kids were the only thing that kept me going at that point. But I didn't want anyone to know that. I didn't want to admit it to anybody. I tried to to cut back on my drinking and it wasn't working. And then I was terrified to tell anybody that um, because I was afraid that as soon as I admit that I'm having a hard time, then I have a problem and that scared the hell out of me. So I didn't want to admit it. So I just kept going the way that I was going and getting more and more miserable. And, you know, it was a terrible way to live. And my family actually put together an intervention and hired a woman to come to our house and tell me I needed to go to rehab. (laughs) So it, it got to the point right at the end where I was just, my, my husband at the time had been stationed in Bahrain for a year and was away for a school for a couple of months before that. So he had been gone for 14 months. I was six months pregnant when he left. So I had a baby by myself and she was almost a year old by the time he came back. And then when he got back, that's when he noticed that I was kind of a mess and not happy and that things weren't right. And so, but even with intervention, I fought it and like, I was screaming at everybody. I was so mad and (laughs) did not want to go and just pitched a fit about the whole thing. I told him I was going to divorce him if he made me stay in rehab. And he was like, well, go ahead then. (laughs) Wow. So, (laughs) but I, I sat there in in detox and I fought it and fought it and fought it. I literally beat up my detox bedroom. I broke the bed. I threw everything in there. I was so mad that they were making me stay there. And I'm, sat down and was trying to write them a letter about that. I'll go to AA and I'll do everything. Just please don't make me stay here. Like, you know, all this stuff. And then on a separate piece of paper at the same desk, I had a list and I was writing a list of things I needed them to bring me so I could stay. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was like torn between the two. I didn't want to be there. And I was absolutely scared out of my mind. And at the same time, I knew that I was miserable and that I didn't know what to do. And that was kind of the only option. So after detox, I decided, like, you know what? Nobody is listening to me. Nobody's going to come pick me up. I might as well just shut my mouth and go in here and get as much as I can out of it because I'm miserable anyway. And that kind of opened the door to everything. And that was almost six years ago in May. Congratulations. Thank you. So May 28th will be my sixth year sobriety date. But yeah, I was just a sponge in that Mm -hmm. place. I did everything they told me to do. I was just like, you know what? I I obviously don't know how to make myself happy. So I might as well listen to what you people have to say. And I did everything. And something clicked. Something worked. And, you know, now things have gone just straight uphill really, really fast. Since then. <laughs> it hasn't been easy, but it's, I'm not going downhill anymore. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Was there something different about maybe the people in the, the rehab center or you were just ready at that time, whether you liked it or not? I don't, well, it, well, funny thing is, is the half the counseling staff was still there and remembered me from 11 years earlier, hmm. which was kind of, it was like the walk of shame walking up that thing, that walkway again on my way back. I'm like, am I really back here again? <laughs> like, it was so embarrassing and just, ugh, it felt terrible. I felt like such a loser. And then, but once I got in there and started doing something, something and started feeling a change in myself after a few, you know, just a few days sober and talking about things I never wanted to talk about. I was you know what? like, I'm not, a, I'm not a loser. I just have like, this is an illness. I actually watched a video while we were, we were in there. I can never remember the name of it. It's about, oh goodness. It's about the way that alcoholism affects the brain and really talks about the chemistry of it and how it's not a matter of 
willpower, that it's an illness and it's a treatable illness, but it's an illness and you have to think about it that way. You know, you're not going to find out you have diabetes and then just decide you're not going to take the medicine that's going to make you better. You know, it's an alcoholism is, is that same way. Like you can have it and live through it and be fine, but you have to do the treatment. You have to, <laughs> you know, you have to, to do what they tell you to do to be able to live with that illness without it affecting every other part of your life and making you sick and making, you know, tearing down the life around you. And that video to me was, they didn't have that one the first time I went there, but that video really opened my eyes to that, that I was like, I'm not just a worthless human being and I'm not just a terrible person who just continues to make bad choices and can't get away from this. I am a sick person that needs help. And that was huge for me. Just hearing that, you know, knowing that, that it's, I had been told, you know, my, my, my mom and I do not have a good relationship, but for mm-hmm. years and years and years, it was always just, why can't you get this right? Why can't you stop doing these stupid things? Why, you know, what's wrong with you? And, you know, well, there's nothing wrong with me. Like I have an illness. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't and, tell somebody who broke their arm that it's their fault. No. And that's kind of what, you know, the, the message I got this time in rehab was just like, you know, you don't get mad at somebody for having cancer. Mm-hmm. Like, and cause that, there's a huge struggle that goes along with that. There's decisions that you have to make that are hard. You know, what kind of treatment are you going to do? Are you going to do it? You know? And it is different. Alcoholism is different, but it's so hard to, to have that separation in your mind about what alcoholism is because it does seem like it's a, an issue of willpower and it does seem like it's just somebody making bad choices over and over again. And the, what comes with that, you know, all the abuse and, you know, saying terrible things and making horrible decisions that affect the people around you, you know, you, makes everybody around you upset and it's hard to, you know, empathize with an alcoholic once they've hurt you over and over and over again, you know? So it's, I feel like not enough people know about the disease of alcoholism and how that affects the alcoholic. And then as a a byproduct, how it affects the entire family so that for me was just a whole new way of looking at this thing that I had lived with my whole life that had, you know, broke me down to nothing. And so it was kind of like, okay, well now this is, this is what it is I'm dealing with. How do I fix it? Like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do to not feel like this anymore? And that I think was a, a big game changer for me. So what was it like when you came home? Um, super uncomfortable. I, I just didn't, I mean, I'm, I was a very high functioning alcoholic. I was involved in, um, church stuff and the kids' school stuff. And I was an active participant in my life <laughs> while being a miserable person. But when I came home, I, I felt like I didn't know how to do anything kind of. Um, and it was because I, my safety net when I got stressed out or, you know, my way of relaxing, my way of celebrating, my way of dealing with anything, pain, sorrow, happiness, everything was to drink. And so when I came home and I like, it's like, okay, well, that's not how I do anything anymore. So what do I do? (laughs) How do I deal with life and emotions? Like I, I was, you know, not, an emotional person. And then when I got sober, it was like emotions come up and feelings come up and it was like, what the heck is that? And what do I do with it? You know? (laughs) So for me, it was the, the biggest help for that because I was really uncomfortable. I didn't know how to sit on the couch and watch a movie without a drink in my hand. I just realized like cooking, I didn't know how to cook without having a glass of wine while I was cooking. I didn't know how to, it's like, yeah, I can cook. I know how to do these things, but I always, there was always alcohol there with everything that I did. So it was, 
I felt super uncomfortable. I kind of like I got anxiety really bad. I just had all kinds of stuff. I didn't know how to deal with any of that. So the what they had told me to do in rehab was to reach out to, you know, the people in recovery. And I actually, I went to rehab in San Diego, but we moved to Monterey three days after I got out of rehab because my husband at the time got stationed at the Naval Postgraduate School up there. So we moved as soon as I got out. So I moved to this new town. I didn't know a soul. Um, I was so uncomfortable on my own skin. So uh, the only thing I, I knew to do was what they told me in rehab was like, go find a meeting, like pull up the meeting schedule online, find a meeting, go to a meeting, introduce yourself as a newcomer or, you know, hi, I'm new to the area. Somebody help me. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. Like even just, I mean, the thought of that is just totally nerve wracking. But like I said, with rehab, I, I knew that I was miserable. I knew that what I was doing was not working. And as much as I hated doing what other people suggested, and as much as I had anxiety about having, like thinking about speaking up or raising my hand in a group of people, like I did it anyway, because I, the bottom line was that I was willing to do anything that I needed to do to not feel the way that I felt the day that I walked into rehab. (laughs) So I did that. I went to, to a meeting and the first meeting I went to in Monterey, I didn't like it. It was terrible. Some homeless guy came walking in and started screaming. I was like, what is going on and where am I? (laughs) I'm in the wrong place. (laughs) But, um, instead of giving up, I was like, okay, well that didn't work, but I still don't know what to do. So I'll go to a different meeting. And I did that. A guy that was at that first meeting recognized me and came up to me and said, hey, I saw you at that meeting yesterday, and that's normally not like that. Like, that's a terrible first experience. (laughs) Um, But he was like, come on, let me introduce you to the girls. And he brought me over to this group of women at this meeting and introduced me. And those women are some of my very best friends that I still am connected with today. So the recovery community is awesome. Like, all of us know how other people in early recovery felt and feel and we get that and you know it's not like it's not this it does seem like a little kind of a weird clicky community when you walk up to an AA group everybody's all loving on each other and but you know they're there because this thing worked for them and they were you at that (laughs) at one point you know so they just scooped me up and I mean, I don't know what I would have done in my first year if they hadn't just the other people at the meetings hadn't grabbed onto me and they would come and pick me up and go to meetings. I literally was given a commitment to walk people from a a rehab home that was near one of the meetings. During a meeting, one of my friends was like, so I accepted a new position, a new, you know, um, commitment position in the meeting. And so now I can't walk the inmates from the rehab down to this meeting. So Katie, I'm giving that, that to you. I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's just kind of, I got thrown into things and I, everything that I thought was going to be a huge pain in the butt ended up being amazing and such a good experience. So I, I think it was just, I stopped fighting things and was just like, you know what, I'm going to stop doing things my way. And the way I think things should be done because obviously that hasn't gotten me anywhere. And now I just started doing it. Yeah. And now, oh my gosh, I, it's incredible. Yeah. You're making videos and you're on Facebook telling people about your recovery and Mm -hmm. telling everything where before you wouldn't even go to a meeting and now you're, you're there, you're telling everybody about your story and trying to help other people. And I would never have talked about, you know, getting kicked out of high school and like I was homeless. I ran away from foster care. So I was homeless for nine months in San Diego at 15 years old. (laughs) And as an adult, trying, especially when I was, you know, trying to be this like well put together wife of a naval officer, like I really wanted to have this, you know, classy appearance of this woman that had it all together and so never in a million years would I have talked about the stuff that I that I had gone through. I was always really embarrassed that I didn't go to college, you know, amongst a, this group of people who all had degrees and 
I felt like I always had to hide who I was and what I had been through. And, and that's no, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm like, this is what happened. This is what my life was. And just because that's what happened doesn't mean that it needs to continue happening. And you don't need to be afraid of it or ashamed of it because there are so many people out there that have had those same experiences and have gone through horrible things. And how are they going to get through it if the people that got through it aren't sharing their story and aren't reaching out, spreading this message that like, hey, it's fine. That's what you went through. Okay, now let's get yourself back up and put your boots on and let's go. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I just, I don't know what happened there and why that crossed over, but... <laughs> I think. Well, and that's what is important about our series is power of a story is because, you know, for some people, it may, may sound like a person that is on here rambling on and on and on. And you know what? It's my podcast. I can do what I want. But, <laughs> but I've gotten messages and, and gotten feedback that even if it helps one person or it resonates with one person, which pretty much all of our episodes have, then I've done my job. Yeah. So and that's yeah. what you're doing. And that, yeah, if I, with one person, one sober, you know, struggling mom that doesn't know what to do and doesn't want to admit she has a problem and is a miserable person, like if I can get through to one, that's enough. And the same thing with, you know, I'm going, I go to school full time and I'm in the process of getting my teaching credential. That's the same thing. I was a messed up teenager. And if I could get through to one messed up kid, and help them. I, I had a really influential teacher in high school after I after I had gotten kicked out of school and then, you know, was homeless and eventually, you know, begged my mom to come back home because I wanted to go back to school. I didn't want to be like a loser. I like that was really big for me. I'm like, I don't want to be a high school dropout. I need to go back to high school. And so I went back and again, I didn't want to tell anybody that I had been homeless. Like I don't, it was very scary. And I had a, so I went back my junior year of high school and I had a huge chip on my shoulder. I was always getting in trouble. I was getting fights. I was like, I was a troublemaker, but I had one, a history teacher and I'm going to school to be a history teacher in high school. (laughs) But my U.S. history teacher, he would read my papers and he was like, you know, you're an amazing writer. Like, you're so good at this. And I had, nobody told me that before. Like, you're good at something. It was, because I was a troublemaker and every teacher knew it. And he did not ever act like I was a troublemaker, treat me like I was a troublemaker. He just let me do my work and praised me when I did well. And I got like 104% in his class. Mm -hmm. Like, I busted my butt. (laughs) And he was saying, he's like, you know what? He's like, when, um, he's like, I'm going to wait till you come back to teach this class to, to retire. I'm not retiring till you're here to take over. And, uh, that always stuck in my brain, even after years of, of struggle and all this stuff and not pursuing my degree and not doing anything to start a career. And through all that, I have never forgotten that teacher. And when I, went back to school, you know, it always is kind of a seed that he planted that was like, I'm good at something. Like I can be good at something if I try. (laughs) (laughs) I just wasn't willing to try for a long time. But when I went back to school and when I was getting, I went to Mesa college in San Diego and got my AA there. And when I was getting close to graduation, I actually contacted him and met with him. We went and had lunch together 20 years after my high school graduation and was like, what do I do? Like, I want to be a high school teacher when I grow up. How do I do <laughs> So he told me, you know, he went to San Diego State. He was a social science major, which is what my major is. He went, got his teaching credential pro- through SDSU and that I'm on the same path as him. So That's 20 awesome. years later, you know, and he said he had, he's like, I always knew you were, you know, a little rough, but he's like, I didn't, he's like, I never realized the extent of what you were going through. You know, we talked, had talked a lot about that during lunch and, and he's like, and I had no idea that I made any kind of difference or, you know, and I was like, you're like, yes, you were huge for me. And 
So that's really, and now we talk all the time. He's like, when are you, he just sent me a message last week. He's like, when are you graduating? You know? That's awesome. So, you know, if I can make, do that for one kid, the way that he did for me, you know, maybe it took me a while. Maybe it'll take my student that are having a hard time a while to get it together. But, you know, if I can influence one person, make a difference in one person's life, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And you probably would not be where you are today with the intrinsic knowledge that you had, have now, if you hadn't had gone through all of those horrible situations and those challenges. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you have such a powerful story. You're not boring, to say the least. Thank you. <laughs> I know I've had kind of a crazy life. And when I talk about things with friends that I've made, and especially in the last few years with school and professors, since I'm, my professors are my age, you know. Um, <laughs> so when I talk to professors and things like that, and they hear about my past, it's, you know, they're like, it is so crazy to think that that is who you were. <laughs> because that's not who I am today. I sit in the front of the classroom and every single class that I have in college, I read everything that's assigned if I have time to read everything thoroughly. Mm-hmm. I don't always get to everything, but like I work my butt off. I have a 3.99. I I have all A's in college and one A minus. That's the only thing that reason I have a 3.99 and not a 4.0. And I just found out last week that I've been um, chosen as the outstanding graduate for my major. And I'm going to be on the stage at commencement at SDSU. Wow. That's incredible. So it's like, crazy i mean it's crazy every time something like that happens i'm like how the heck did that happen (laughs) like (laughs) i was the kid that was completely loaded that wouldn't take my sunglasses off in class and half the time i was walking around barefoot like in high school wow i was not the person you would picture up on the stage at college commencement so you know i'm proof that it doesn't matter where you were and it doesn't matter how hard things have been and how horrible your situation is or, you know, what you have been a victim of, because I have been a victim of it all, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Like it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, it matters. It does matter because it makes you who you are, but it that doesn't have to keep you from succeeding in life. And I didn't, I wouldn't have known that, you know, when I was down in the dumps and not uh, going through everything that I went through, there is no way that I would have believed ever in a million years that I would be graduating from college, let alone doing well in college. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a crazy Right. It's weird to look back. Well, congratulations on all your accomplishments. And I know that everybody is super proud of you. So let's talk a little bit about the effect of the military and being a military family. And how does that work with addiction and what effect does it have on kids? Well, as far as um, my previous marriage being because I was drinking, still drinking then, you know, him being gone and he was gone a lot like 14 months was one of them prior to that he had he was gone for six months prior to that he was gone for nine months like he would go from command to command there was almost no time in between we'd get like three months here and there so he was almost never home and with the kids for me it just got worse you know I felt like a single mom but then I wasn't so it was really lonely for me and then I obviously had a drinking issue. So I was going through that. And then the kids are dealing with him being gone and me dealing with him being gone in the way that I was. So of course it was hard on me and everybody asked me like, how do you, you know, how did you do it? And well, I didn't, I got drunk the whole time. (laughs) Um, But you know, the kids are dealing with that too. It's not just what the spouses are going through. Like my, I have an older daughter that's 19. So I have three of my own kids and I have three soon to be stepchildren. My daughter's going to be 20 in June. And then I have a 14 year old boy and a seven year old girl. And then my stepkids, one of them, I, he lives in Florida. So I've met him, but he's never lived with me. He's 19. And then I have a 16 year old stepson and a 13 year old stepdaughter. And 
my older daughter was old enough to see my drinking become a problem, even though I hate to like downplay it and say that it wasn't bad because it was. I was never an abusive um, drinker, thank goodness. I was more of a depressed drinker. I sat up all night by myself drinking. But when she got older and could stay up later on the weekends, she could see that there was a problem. And she asked me a few times to, you know, to stop. And that told, told me that she didn't like it. And I didn't listen, not just because I didn't want to, because I didn't know how. But we have issues now. She and I don't talk. We haven't talked in a while. She went to live with her dad when... I was a little over a year sober. So even after I got sober, like we still had our issues there. And, you know, that I think a lot of that came from her watching me deteriorate during the time that my now ex-husband was gone with the military. And so it was a huge strain. You know, she probably felt like she had to be responsible for me because I couldn't be responsible for myself. And that I'm sure is, is really hard for her, you know, even though it was her stepdad that was in the military, that was hard for her. Like she saw me falling apart. And then when he and I got divorced and it was a very peaceful divorce that happened in sobriety. He and I get along great today. We never even stepped foot in court. So it was all very peaceful, but she, you know, had a lot of trauma from that time. I mean, it's not trauma the way you see an alcoholic parent movies but it's still a traumatic experience watching your mom be depressed and miserable and you know basically drinking herself to death so I'm sure that was was hard on her and then my stepkids their mother as far as I know she's sober now but we have full custody of them um they don't see her and by their choice and she was a very abusive alcoholic and same situation when my fiance now is, has been in, in the Navy for almost 20 years. And when he would leave, I mean, th their mom, I, there was always an issue. There, I mean, her drinking was really bad when he was home, but things got much worse when he would leave. And um, because she would get depressed and lock herself in the room and not come out for days and has been taken away in an ambulance many times and they've had to have fam family members or neighbors or whatever take care of them because their mom goes completely nuts whenever he would leave. So when he, this, since they've moved in, they've, we've all lived together in about a year and a half. So when he just deployed in this past August and my two stepkids that live here, you could see just the level of anxiety in those kids when he was getting ready to deploy was it, it was heartbreaking. You could see the, the, just the trauma that they were remembering of how things were when their dad used to leave, when his their mom and dad were together and they were completely traumatized by it. Like that mom fell apart when dad left and all hell broke loose when dad would leave. So when he was getting ready to leave, you could just see it. And we had them, we've had them in, in counseling and, you know, they've come so far since, since I first met them, but it was just, it's terrible for them. And that the day that he left, it was really, really rough for them. And obviously it was rough for me too. Like my fiance is leaving for seven months, but I was able to, you know, because of my history and because of what I've gone through and because of the help that I've gotten, was able to just be there for them. So I made sure, like, I didn't cry when we left, when we dropped him off. We didn't, that I wasn't crying. We, we, I was just like, I'm totally holding it together for these four kids. <laughs> and so, and we, we got home and, you know, on the way home, I'm like, do you guys want to stop and get something to eat or something? Like, and we just went back home into our regular routine. And I could tell that the he was 15 at the time, but his son was, was having a hard time. And I just went in there and I was like, but I know that you're scared and that's okay, but everything's going to be exactly the same as it is when your dad's here. He's just not here. But everything else, day to day, 
is exactly the same. Like mm-hmm. nothing's changing. I'm not going to fall apart. We're going to be okay. And if anybody's having a hard time, we're just going to talk about it. Like if you're struggling, we're going to talk about it. And it, things were f- fine. Within a day, you could see the stress just lift from that. They're like, okay, like it's going to be all right. This isn't going to be like it was before. So, I mean, knowing what they went through with their, when their dad would leave, it, I mean, it just breaks my heart seeing that. But so many, and they've talked about that so many other kids that they know that they've bonded with are kids that kind of fall apart when the, their military parent leaves because the other parent struggles so much. And, you know, I think a lot of the times people think about, oh, this poor mom or is has to deal with everything by themselves and their spouse is gone for months at a time. But those kids are going through it too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think, well, you know, kids are being kids and they're having fun and they come home and they eat everything in your fridge and they go to their sports. And But, you know, that they go through it. And when there's one parent that's dealing with emotional issues around what, you know, a, a deployment or whatever, those kids are going to feel it. You know, they... They're resilient little things, but they can, they know what's going on. Like they're not dumb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They can see when your parents, you know, you see your mom hurting, like they know that. And my daughter saw it and tried to help. And because she saw that alcohol was my solution and tried to ask me to stop, but, and I didn't listen. You know, and I've told her that she doesn't respond to me, but I, you know, I've told her that I'm like, I'm sorry that I didn't listen. I'm sorry that I didn't do something to fix it at that point, but I didn't know how, you know? So it's definitely a huge, a huge issue for, for kids, you know, deployments and, or parents that experience military parents that experience trauma and come home and are dealing with PTSD and things like that. And, you know, that's obviously it's going to have an effect on the kids that are involved. Parents that are dealing with emotional issues and mental health stuff that is going to affect your kid. Like, but it's up to you as to how that's going to affect your, your kids. You know, are you going to just ignore the elephant in the room or are you going to try and come together as a family and work on this issue that is a family issue? It might be one person that's dealing with alcoholism or mental health issues or whatever, but it's affecting everybody else in the family. Like alcoholism is a family disease. PTSD is a family disease. It affects everybody around you, you know? So you kind of, you have to heal the family. You can't just heal the individual. Individual needs the most work, (laughs) but everyone around them needs help to understand what that person's going through, to be able to work through the issues that they have around, you know, the, that person's issues. It's just so much bigger, you know, none of us just walk through life without affecting everybody else. Like we all affect everyone else around us and without being sounding like, you know, not everybody's codependent, but if you live with somebody that's dealing with some major issues, there's, going to be residual effects there there's going to be ripples and they can be big giant waves that'll drown everybody if they're big enough you know so yeah I think it's the kids are a huge part and I've seen that and understood that I've actually understood more about what my daughter went through who doesn't even talk to me at this point by seeing what my stepkids are going through Mm -hmm. And I'm sure at some point as she gets older and she understands a little bit more, the forgiveness will set in because she's going to have to forgive you before she can live a full life herself. Right. And I, you know, it's so hard. It's so hard sitting back. I mean, she's doing great. She's going to college and, and all of, and all of that. But there's, you know, at this point she's a grown up. Like I, I send her messages and tell her I love her and tell her we miss her and send her pictures of um, her brother and sister, but that's as, as much as I can do. And every now and then I have a little bit of a pity party about it and I miss her to death, but you know, I just have to be patient and sit and wait. And that, you know, I can't take back anything that happened. I can't change 
the past. I just have to, you know, the best way to show someone you're sorry is to stop doing what you did to hurt them and not go back to those old ways. Just show them through through your new life that you have chosen to live differently. And, you know, that's that's all I can do. You have six years of demonstrating that you have changed your ways and mm-hmm. you're doing so much in your personal life too, to help other people and to kind of bring forth this message that you can't change what you did, but you can help others either prevent any further hurt or, you know, get some help. So let's kind of transition a little bit to your business and, Mm -hmm. you know, the amazing things that you're doing with your unique company. Yes. So I, I mean, going to school full-time, I am like living on on student loans and financial aid and, and all of that um, while I'm going to school because it's really important to me because of my past that I'm present for my kids. And I get that some people have to work while they're going to college. I decided to take out a ridiculous amount of money in loans instead (laughs) (laughs) and work later and pay it back because I want to go. I have never missed one of kids sporting events. Like I want to be there. I want to be there for everything. Um, I want to be active in their lives and so I'm, I've racked up a huge bill for college, but whatever. I mean, you know, my kids are more important than any amount of money. <laughs> but I decided to, um, I have a friend who does unique makeup, which is a network marketing company. But I was interested in trying some new makeup. My friend that does it talked me into to getting a little presenter thing so I can get the discount on the makeup because I am a bargain shopper. Oh my goodness. Um, so I'm like, yes, of course I want a discount. So I'll, I'll do the kit and I got it. And then I'm like, you know, what is this company about anyway? And I just started snooping around and researching and I found out that unique, what unique does it's, and the whole reason the company was even created was, um, the founder decided, um, heard a story about, you know, women who, uh, or a woman who had been sexually abused and that, nobody was listening to her or helping her and was kind of blaming her. And that really hit him. And he decided he wanted, he had already been a, an entrepreneur and a business owner. And he was like, what can I do to help women that go through this, like heal and get through this. And so he set up a foundation to help women who had been victims of childhood sexual abuse and then built this company to support a foundation that helps these women. And um, so I was really interested in that and looking into all that, you know, like, oh my gosh, we're, this company helps women who have gone through abuse and then, you know, digging in this rabbit hole of stuff about what this company does, it came up that they also work with women um, who struggle with addiction. And that was like, for me, of course, I'm like, oh my gosh, they help women who've been sexually abused. They help women who are struggling with addiction. Like, I want to be a part of this company. So I decided to go ahead and why not do the business side of it? And I, mean, I go to school full time. I've got four kids in my house. I was like, there's no way I have time to do this. So I just started like turning on my phone and doing live videos of, of me opening my presenter kit when it came in the mail and then me putting on the product and it just kind of took off from there. And now I'm like, I love this business. I mean, it's not only like it's extra income, which of course, as a student and a mom of teenagers, oh my gosh, like they are expensive human beings. But so having that extra money, of course, that's helpful and that's great. But knowing that what I'm doing is helping women recover from traumatic experiences and abuse and addiction. Like, I feel like I'm serving a purpose and, you know, the paycheck helps me pursue that purpose, (laughs) but I feel like I'm doing something to help women like myself and get through these things. You know, Unique does these like retreat weekends. So you can get online and you can sign up to attend like a Haven retreat weekend. And it's an entire weekend of 
healing and therapy and sisterhood and community. And, and it doesn't cost these women a penny to attend these, these retreats. So every time I make, I place an order for myself or for anybody else, it has the option to like round up the change, um, donate to the unique foundation or make a, a higher donation. But every time I do that, it's like, you know, thank you for helping a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. I'm like, you're welcome <laughs> world. <laughs> so That's I awesome. feel like I'm doing some good and it doesn't take that much effort. And I have found that in doing this, I didn't even mean for it to happen or want it to, or I didn't, I don't know, but I have connected with this community of other women that have gone through some horrible crap and we're all together doing this and encouraging each other and helping each other build their businesses. And it has just been the most incredible experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love it. I, I love doing some good in the world and meeting other women that have been through it and, you know, are turning their lives around. And on your Facebook page, you post really open and vulnerable videos talking about your past or things that mm -hmm. you've experienced. Have you had other people connect uh, privately or publicly and said, Oh wait, you are me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just recently started like a business page for the unique stuff. And I do have my, my personal page, but for years on my personal page, since I got sober, since I hit about a year sober, I was really nervous about uh, posting anything about my sobriety. I didn't want people to judge me and more importantly, I didn't want people to judge my kids. I was afraid that if I posted stuff about being in recovery and, you know, having a history of addiction and stuff like that, I was afraid that other people wouldn't want their kids to play with my kids because they, or they wouldn't want a, their kid to be at my house. Um, and that was scary for me. And then it turned out the more people I met and the more people that I would become comfortable with and talk about my story, they're like, that's incredible, you know, that you've been through this. And it turned out that people were, more inspired than judgy. <laughs> so then I just kind of, I started being really open about it, posting like my sobriety birthday tokens and things like that. And I've had a ton of people reach out that either they are struggling or they have a family member who's struggling. So many people. And so it, uh, now I'm very open about it because of the number of people that have reached out just because like, Hey, I, it's my one year sober birthday or my two year sober birthday. And I'll get a private message. It's like, Hey, I'm kind of thinking that I might have a problem. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, okay. If I can, if I just post my life on here and that hits somebody else and makes them feel like they have an outlet or somebody they can reach out to, like I'll post all kinds of stuff. Like, mm -hmm. what do you want to know? so yeah it has it's been big and then with I don't know what happened on my Instagram my business Instagram um a couple of people in recovery who I don't know liked my business Instagram and now I have a, a lot of followers that are in recovery and women that are that have reached out so now when I when I post pictures like I'll I'll hashtag you know sober woman sober life things like that and because I that is a, a community that I, you know, connect with on a very personal level. And a lot of women, especially like in somewhat early recovery, but are trying to rebuild their lives. Divorce is, you know, very common among people in recovery. I mean, it's common in the world today in general, but women in recovery, you know, there's a lot of divorces <laughs> that go with that. And trying to, especially if you've been like a stay-at-home mom for years and, you get divorced and, you know, how are you going to take care of yourself and your family if you haven't worked in years and years and what are you going to do? And that's terrifying. So if it, within that community of people reaching out are not only can not only benefit from my story and maybe um, be inspired to go back to school or even ask for help, like, hey, I would love to go back to school. What do I do? Where do I start? You know, I am more than happy to put you in the right direction for that. But then also it's like, how am I going to support my family? Well, with through the, the unique stuff, like I can present you with an opportunity that could help you. 
maybe it's not for you, but maybe it is. And you grow a business and you become successful and you're working from home doing this. So you can go back to school at the same time. Oh my gosh. Life-changing experience. Like, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, there's so many opportunities and it's not as hard as everybody thinks. Like going back to school sounds terrifying. I seriously thought I was going to throw up my first day driving around looking for parking and walking to my first class. I thought I was going to throw up. I was so nervous. I was so scared. It was awful. I was half an hour late to my first class because I couldn't find parking. I didn't know how crowded it would be. It was terrifying. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can imagine. That's why I go to school online. (laughs) I I don't have to people online. Yeah. It was terrifying. And then I walk in and my first teacher is younger than me. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, perfect. But no, now she and I are still friends on Facebook. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So you have all these people championing for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So our time is kind of running to a close. Is there okay. any type of closing thoughts or anything we didn't talk about or message that you want to really emphasize before we leave? I don't think so. I just think the biggest thing is that, you know, it's recovery recover and recovering from from any kind of trauma it doesn't have to be addiction you know any it's it's scary taking that first step and admitting that you might need help or that you're really unhappy I mean admitting that you don't like your life or then that you're miserable in a life um, that you have that's really really scary so my biggest thing is just to you know, reach out to someone, get on social media. Thank goodness for social media. Get on social media, hashtag sober women and reach out to somebody on there, you know, reach out, ask for help. Like it's not that scary. And once you do it, you're like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. And then you're on the path to a life-changing experience. So if someone wanted your mentorship or guidance or wanted to check out your unique company or just wanted to check you out in general because you're kind of a cool chick, how do we get a hold of you? Where do we find you? On Facebook and Instagram, I am strongisbeautiful619. So you can, if you search in either of those um, social media platforms and you search at strongisbeautiful619, you will find me. I am up there. Awesome. And people are welcome to reach out to you, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Shoot me a message on there. I am more than willing to help or share or whatever. Help you start a business, help you get back to school or just talk, whatever. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. I really appreciate how open and honest and just how much information that you gave us in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be able to talk to you. I'm really happy that I've to have this experience. This is really cool. <laughs> so check out Katie on social media and I'll also post links to be able to quick link to her in case you don't want to type it out and just click. So thank you, Katie. Perfect. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And I hope that you found something that really resonates with you. I can't wait to share even more. So please subscribe to the podcast and you can find links to our resources in the description and at youroxygenmaskfirst.com.